Welcome to episode 84 of the Animal Addicts podcast. On today's episode, Casey gives us another lesson in systematics and phylogeny, while I discuss a very distinct looking dog breed, the Pooley. We learn about two new very cool species we both wish we could see, and about our super cool little animal of the week. So let's get to it. Episode 84 of the Animal Addicts podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 84 of the Animal Addicts podcast. As always, we're your hosts, Allie. And Casey. And today we're going to talk about a whole new assortment of really cool animals. But before we get into that, what were you up to, Casey, since I last saw you? I was pet sitting. That sounds fun. Yep. So. What kind of pets? It was a dog. Oh, just one dog? Yep, just one oh, dog. Oh, jeez, that's a sweet deal. Okay. Yep. Um, she's a... Embry, she's a pit boxer mix. Oh, and she's oh an, my god, the endless energy. No, she's an old lady. Okay, cool. Occasionally I had to keep her calm because she would bark at the occasional UPS truck. Mm, Other than that, that, she's well behaved. Good. Unlike some of the neighbor's dogs. Oh dear. No, like, it's funny because they have apparently gotten complaints about her in the past for barking. And it's like, I can hear this one dog literally barking all day long. <laughs> but yeah. What, what area do they live in that people are this... Uptight. <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, it's not even like n- nice fancy area. I mean, like they have sidewalks and stuff. But <laughs> is that what constitutes nice? Yes, because I was in Fallbrook, and in my area, we didn't have sidewalks everywhere. Nor did we. But I don't think sidewalks constitute nice because Valley Center was very nice without sidewalks. Oh, really? Yes, the nicer All properties. Only I associate no is that sidewalks. one casino and Bates Nut Farm. Sidewalks are definitely city things. Mm-hmm. If you're in a town, no town has sidewalks on the like where the houses are. <sighs> That's not a thing. That's yeah. a suburban cityfied thing. Mm. So True. first of all, you need to change your qualifications of what's nice. To be fair, this road does not have sidewalks, but the houses over there that have to be at least over a million dollars. Um, not because they're amazing, just because of the housing market yeah. is ridiculous. Um, though they do have sidewalks because that's where I go to walk because I don't want to die and get hit by a car. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing about where I live now. It's like I, I'm never on the road anymore. Yeah, that part's nice if you're taking if you're taking your morning constitutional. Yep. I take my like weekly constitutional <laughs> in the neighborhood over there, usually in the afternoon. Yeah. Um. But anyway, she was well behaved. The one thing, like I love dogs, but. The thing that makes dogs inferior to cats is they have to act like your shadow. Not nice. It depends on the dog, but yeah, most dogs do want to be around you like all the time. Yeah. It's like, uh, no, I'm a, I love both, but cats are better. You're definitely like, not like a cat person like you like cats, but I'm, I mean, you do like cats, but like as a person, you are like a cat. Yes, I am. Same. I'm also like, I want love and affection and then I want my alone time. Yep. Leave me alone. Don't touch me. <laughs> yeah. But there's been a few things that changed uh, because I forgot to mention they have a pond. They have fishies. Fishies? Like some koi or just they some They have like, goldfish. one koi and a few goldfish. And now more goldfish because apparently since last time their fish had babies. Nice. <laughs> Which I always find funny is like I so very rarely hear of people's goldfish having babies. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Are they the like fancy not well-made goldfish or are they the, no, just like the just feeders? No, they're just regular. Some of them are the feeders. 
Some are like different kinds of the comet ones that are actually sold for pets, not the feeders. I really want to get a pond and just buy a bunch of feeders and be like, at least you have a chance. Like <laughs> raccoons might get you, but no. What I want to do is like I want to set up an enclosure mm-hmm. and have a big pond with a little waterfall into it, and that will be Reggie's enclosure. And then I will have some fish in there that are too big for him to eat. Too big for him to eat, but then also it has to be fully enclosed so that raccoons also yes. can Because raccoons are the, they're the little squirrely ones. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who get their little hands in there and they can do things. Like oh, yeah. birds will just fly down and get them, but raccoons will like mess up your stuff. Oh, yeah. <sighs> but yeah, they. It's funny, it's like I learned that if I am bright out in the sun feeding them, they will not come. So like I want to see them come up and eat. So I like hide in the shade of it and toss it in. That's not creepy at all. He's poor fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I love koi. It's like, I would love a giant pond to have some koi fish in. Mm-hmm. It'd be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And um, they have a net over it because they actually had raccoons that ate like some of their koi and yeah. all their, a bunch of their goldfish previously. But now they've gotten some fruit trees, and because of that, they have a squirrel problem. Oh, dear. So, like, they told me this door and that door you can't have open. The garage door, though, and this one you can. They don't try coming in that way. How weird. I know. It's like, what? Crazy squirrel. It sounds like they just need to get screen doors on everything mm-hmm. so they can, like, leave something open if you don't want to, you know, run your AC. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, that's where I was, um, did my binge watching of the rest of the season of Stranger Things. Oh, that's where you were. Yeah. That yep. makes sense if you're house-sitting, pet-sitting. Mm-hmm. That's a good time to do it. Yes. I do it when I generally don't feel good because mm-hmm. I'm not doing anything else. Yeah. Anyway... Okay, well, that's exciting. Yes. What I forgot the dog's name again. What's her name? Ambry. Ambry, okay. She's cute. Yes. Um, I, speaking of watching things, watched a little bit of the Zoo San Diego. Mm-hmm. I thought there was another season that I haven't seen, but apparently not. Mm-hmm. So I was watching and I'm like, I think I've seen most of this because I feel like there's some things on the episodes I, or some episodes I hadn't necessarily seen, but most of them I had. So I'm like, I have a feeling this was on in a marathon one day. And I probably just had it on in the background while I was doing other things. So you know how when that happens? So you know how sometimes you actually sit and watch it for a little bit? For like a half hour you're actually watching and then you're like up doing stuff again? So I think that's what Mm -hmm. happened. Because I was like, I don't remember this. But I'm like, but I definitely remember that. Yeah. I finished that a while time ago. But while I was house sitting, I did also watch um, Secrets of the Zoo. Do they have new seasons of that? I think. Oh, wait. No. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's Secrets of the Zoo. There's so many that are like that. Like, there's Secrets of the Zoo, there's Secrets, which is uh, Columbus Zoo, and then there's Secret of the Secrets of the Zoo Tampa, which is Zoo Tampa. Do they actually have their own sections? Because I thought before it was just Secrets of the Zoo, and they just went to different zoos, and then San Diego got its own offshoot. So, the zoo use is just the Bronx Zoo, and they're, because they're actually there like five zoos. There are three zoos or whatever, yeah, okay, There's yeah. five, including okay. the Aquarium. Okay, fine. Yeah, they're a whole system of zoos in New York. But then they did branch off of um, the Zoo San Diego, which is just. But they also have the one that's like what Chester or whatever in England. Yeah, that's Secret Life of the Zoo. (laughs) At the zoo, we gotta talk about this. Um, Then there's Secrets of the Zoo. Oh my gosh! Different thing than the zoo, Um, and that was Columbus. And then there was one season where it was Columbus Zoo. And um, Zoo Tampa. There's also then the Georgia Zoo Tampa Aquarium. Got their own season. Yeah, then there's the Aquarium. Oh, my gosh. Um, there's Secrets of the Zoo Down Under, which is Australia Zoo. Well, I haven't seen that. I've seen parts of it. That's different than mm. Crikey, where the Irwins, yes. right? But that's a different zoo, isn't it? Oh, wait. Is no, zoo it's the not the Australia Zoo. zoo. Their it's, zoo is the Australia um, Zoo, right? Yeah. 
It's Zoo Victoria. So when I'm inevitably not feeling well toward the end of this month, <laughs> I guess I should just go binge. These should all be available in Animal Planet, right? I think. I mean, if you watch them initially on Animal Planet, they should have them on their streaming service. Yeah. And if you pay for Animal Planet, then you just get that online. I'm just going to have to go and sit there and watch all of these and be like, where are mm-hmm. we? Although then I can be sad again when yeah. they show um, What's-His-Name dying. And now our other lion dies. Oh, I know. I want to know what's there now. Because isn't there, like, because I remember They were supposed, them... on the zoo San Diego, they had put, they were putting the spotted hyenas in there, and I have striped never, hyena? sorry, yeah. the, the striped hyenas, and I've never seen them. I was like, ever. are they only out at night or something? I was like, what? I've never seen I've them. I've never seen them. And, no, because one day they were doing it, it was obviously during normal zoo hours, because they literally filmed it, and they were like, mm-hmm. oh, they're exploring, and I'm like, I've literally never seen them out there. Mm-hmm. And now what are they going to do with her? I know, because, um... Our male lion died at the animal park. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. So um, I also didn't know he was that old mm-hmm. and, like, not doing well. Yeah, and then of the two females that were his mates, one of them passed away. Oh, my gosh. That's a mess. It's like. Anyway, so. So I don't know if there's lions anymore, and that's what I'm looking forward to to find out tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got to see if there's lions or if they're putting the striped hyenas out. Yeah. I will also and like I love to striped see hyenas. striped hyenas. I'm Only also time I've seen I like I remember they had their own exhibit at the zoo way back when Dog Canyon was a thing. They were in Dog Canyon. They did not belong in Dog Canyon. I don't remember Dog Canyon. Oh, oh really? No. Huh? What? That's funny. I know because I'm older <laughs> than you and I should know these things more. Oh my goodness. I don't know what's up, yo. Well, anyway, so I and guess then the I've only other place gone. I've seen them was um the Living Desert. I do want to go there. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Hot, but nice. I know. I have been there once. I want to go again. Mm-hmm. We should go like during the spring or fall. Mm-hmm. Maybe the fall. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's so many shows like that now. Um, That's so confusing. And honestly, it's better than some, a lot of the other programming on any Animal Planet. Now. No, mostly Animal Planet programming is really stupid. Yeah. Like, that's good. The Crikey, the Irwins. All the stuff that's actually animal focused. Like, mm-hmm. those things are really good. And then Tank will be on there sometimes, which is okay. Oh, yeah. And, like, Pipples and Parolis, like, is okay. Mm-hmm. And then, but there's some stuff that's, like, the Treehouse. Northwoods Law. Mm-hmm. But Treehouse is not animals. Even though it's cool, put it on HGTV. And there's one for, like, swimming pools. No. What? First of all, that does sound cool, and I want to watch it. Yes, but, but not on an H- animal planet. On HGTV. <laughs> Dude, a while, I went to get my oil changed, so we're sitting in the, like, waiting room of um of the car dealership, and watch, it was a freaking, like, Young and the Reckless was on, and I'm just like, what the oh. hell? Who put this on? Oh, and then goodness. finally, an older guy was like, is anyone watching this? And we're like, there's, like, five. It's like, no. No. No one no is watching. No watching. He's like, I'm turning it off. I'm like, great. And I'm like, why don't they just automatically set these to HGTV? Because, mm-hmm. like, you don't want to have it on something that's going to offend someone for whatever reason. But, like, HGTV is not going to offend anyone. It is fascinating to everyone. Yeah. The only things that are, like, more annoying are the, like, love it or list it types. And I'm like, yeah. how is this butterfly like, wrangler um... affording this million-dollar house? I don't know. But um. But honestly, I don't know what much else is on the animal planet anymore because it's usually terrible. It's yeah. all stupid stuff that has nothing to do with animals. Mm-hmm. It's not all, but so much of it's rarely go to Animal Planet, and it's actually like animal programming. Mm-hmm. So they should do a bunch of Secrets of the Zoo type things, and oh, here's an idea: actually do things like Big Cat Diaries again and those kind of things. Dude, oh, I love that as a kid, man. Probably just costs a lot more money because <laughs> you got to put someone up over there, not mm-hmm. just one person. A lot of people. Anyway, another one that's good for like. If you're going to the doctor's offices, the one that I always eat is Food Network. Food Network's bad, though, because then it'll make you hungry. Yeah. HGTV doesn't make you hungry. It's just like, oh, that's That's probably fun. why at LabCorp they don't play it. Yeah, that'd be really mean because people have to fast. <laughs> we wouldn't do that either. 
you can't do that. <laughs> One of my coworkers was like, we need to set up a food truck at the bottom of the hill because where we are, there's us and people have to fast for some of our exams. And then for Quest, which also does mm-hmm. blood work, you have to yeah. fast for a lot of their exams. It's like all these people who are fasting are going to be like leaving like food. <laughs> Some of them have to fast for a while, too. So oh, I think yeah. our worst one is six hours, but I'm sure blood work is usually like 12 at least. Yeah, I have to fast for 12 hours. Yeah, so anyway. Um, so yeah, well, there we go. So I guess I was caught up, and I thought there were more seasons, but there's apparently only two yeah, seasons. Yeah, only two. So I don't know if just COVID messed things up, because I think they should keep filming out there, because there's obviously yeah, plenty to talk about. Yeah, it's funny, because they did continue to film during COVID. Yeah, well, obviously they have masks yeah. on during a lot of the stuff. <laughs> So, I don't know what's up with that. Mm-hmm. I feel like they should keep that going because I yeah. think there's still going to be plenty of stuff to... There's never You're never going to run out of things to talk about there. Yeah. I mean, maybe you're not going to do, like, ten seasons, but, like, four easily. Yeah. I like. I would like another season of the aquarium, too. <laughs> they, they, should do, they should do the aquarium in Monterey. That, too. But I want, like, I want to see the ins and outs of their new shark gallery. Okay. You get a fly to Georgia. Have fun. If I had the money, you know it. <laughs> if I had the money, I would fly everywhere and I would never work and I would just like travel the world all, world all the time. Yeah. I would just switch yeah. it up of like traveling to like, you know, India or Europe or Australia and then also just going to like Montana for shits and giggles mm-hmm. <laughs> and then going to like all the aquariums and stuff. And Too bad I don't like have an incredibly bubbly personality where I could be like, you're going to be a host for this show and you just go to different places. <laughs> That'd be great, dude. Like, I remember like, Jonathan Bird Blue World, and he, like, went to snorkeling and diving all over the place into aquariums. And it's I like, used to love... Ain't even a biologist, and it's like, this ain't fair. I want to do that. <laughs> I loved, um... Oh, what was the hotel one? Like, great hotels? or something hotels, and I was like, I want to have the money to stay in all these hotels. And she stays in all these hotels and gets, like, spa packages... And, like, it's great anyway. And all over the world. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, this is the best. I think her name was Samantha Brown or something. I want to do that anyway. There we go. TV shows. Now I want to watch HGTV, too. I do love me some HGTV. Anyway, moving along. Um, so let's get this this train back on the rails. <laughs> um, so, Casey, what are you going to talk about today? I'm going to be teaching you a lesson. Okay. Because and... if you remember two episodes ago, you were very confused. <laughs> When I I'm started, confused about a lot of things, but yes. okay, specify. We were talking about the hooded pitatui and yeah. its relatives that are also called pitatuis, yeah, but aren't actually related because they're in a what's called a polyphyletic group. Yes, I was very confused about all of that. Yes. So I'm going to give you another phylogeny lesson. Okay. So, in systematics, which is you study how organisms are related to each other, which gives you information on their evolution. There are three main types of groups that you can have. One is called monophyletic, one's paraphyletic, and the third is polyphyletic, which is what you were confused about. So mono is obviously there's one common ancestor. Is that what it would be? So a, mono, ancestor? So a monophyletic group is yeah. a group that contains the common ancestor of all the animals in that group, and it contains all the descendants of that common ancestor. Oh, boy. Okay, so what would a... a die what was it the pair paraphyletic paraphyletic so that does include the common ancestor of all the animals in that group but it does not include all of its descendants i'm going to give examples for this so confusing but okay all right go on and then polyphyletic Mm -hmm. is the worst kind of group because (laughs) it does not contain the common ancestor of the of the animals in that group or there yeah okay so they're not directly related at all so a Let's to start off with a monophyletic group. 
the one that we have probably talked most about is the Carnivorans. Okay. I was like, Cordata. <laughs> that is a... Po- po- yeah, that is a uh, monophylic group. Okay. So all the Carnivorans, mm-hmm. as a group, they are all share a single common ancestor. And that ancestor's descendants are all represented in that group. Okay. So that one is good. That is the group Makes you sense. want in systematics because it gives you information of the evolutionary history. You're not missing any parts like you would in the paraphyletic group. And they're all related to each other. Okay. So you're getting good, legitimate information. Okay. Now, paraphyletic, which is actually very common to find because you can be missing information or things uh, you just can't, re- don't have a large enough data set to get all the answers. Okay. So, a good example of a, one example for a paraphyletic group is the prosimians. Prosimians are what's sometimes called as the uh, primitive primates. Those are things like lemurs, lorises, and tarsiers. So those aren't... Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So, I was thinking primitive primates. I was thinking of old world and new world monkeys, yeah. which are different. Okay. Yeah. So the reason that it is a paraphyletic group is because all these those animals share a common ancestor. Okay. So they're all related to each other, but it does not include that all the descendants of that common ancestor. So descendants of that common an- ancestor are also in other groups then? Yes, it includes, you actually mentioned two of them, the New World and Old World oh, Monkeys, okay, okay. the Great Apes, and us, and the Lesser Apes. Okay. Yeah. The one that I like to use the most uh, for a paraphyletic group um, would be the reptiles, because that does include things like the crocodiles, the turtles, tuataras, and the snakes and lizards. And those are all related, and they are all share a common ancestor, but it doesn't show all the um, descendants because we share a common ancestor with the reptiles. Okay. And birds themselves are traditionally not included in the reptiles, but they are indeed uh, related. They share a common ancestor with the crocodilians. Okay. So what would be a... How to turn that into a monophyletic group would be called uh, the amniotes. So the amniotes are animals that all have what's called an amniotic egg. That's like the egg that has a membrane surrounding it. It excludes the amphibians, which are not, we are not closely related to, because they do not have a membrane around their eggs. So that's why amphibians are reliant on bodies of water for laying their eggs, because without it, they would just dehydrate. So the membrane is like that, the shell, essentially. Yes. Not for us, but for reptiles and birds, it would be like the shell. So what is the membrane around our eggs that's going to keep them, they would dry out if our eggs were just out? Yes, but we do still have a membrane surrounding it, but ours are just not... External. Yeah. It's it's a not a shell, but it is still a membrane. I cannot remember its official name. Okay. But yeah, that would be a monophyletic group. Makes sense. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna forget all of this. I mean, I'll remember. I'll retain like a little bit of it, but I'm not gonna remember all of this after today. Okay. Let's be real. Um, but no, you'd have to change totally an entire group, and it, there's just also so many factors that make things related. So it's how would you ever, whatever. Moving along. Also, quick side note. Sorry, before you move on. Um, I was watching an episode of uh, Abbott Elementary, which is one of my favorite new shows. It's pretty great. However. 
nobody fact-checked them. There's a whole episode, they go to the zoo, and she wants to visit the Tuatara named Duster mm -hmm. because she's been visiting him since she was a small child. But Tuataras that are not on display for the public anywhere in the world. <laughs> and they definitely say he's a lizard. <laughs> so I was like, nobody checked. I mean, I feel like the, mo the main thing you have to fact-check is that they're not on public display, right? Yeah. That's what we learned. Like, anywhere. Mm -hmm. You'd have to go behind the scenes somewhere to see yeah. them, right? Mm -hmm. That was crazy to me. So I'm like, so he's just on display, and I forget what city that's supposed to take place. And I'm like, okay, guys. Is this anime? No, it's a, it's a, it's a live show, a live show. It's you know like a single camera. What's it called? It's really good, Abbott Elementary. Hmm. And she goes to the, and the whole thing is basically like he retired because he's old, and it's like, oh, should you retire as a teacher essentially? Yeah. But anyway, it's a great show. But I was just like, y'all, you gotta look at a little bit. <laughs> Like, know that two Ataras are not even on display anywhere. Pick a different... Like, there's so many lizards to choose from. Choose an actual lizard that would be on display. <laughs> anyway, continuing on. Yes. So now, the worst group that exists is the one that confused Dally. <laughs> they all confuse me, but, like, okay. Not well, all, this but... is what brought up me yes. feeling the need to do this. Okay. And that is polyphyletic, which is the worst group that you can have. So polyphyletic is the worst because there is no shared common ancestry in this group. They are not related organisms. So if you're trying to do any kind of research, that group does not give you any good legitimate information on evolutionary history. So why do they group them together? We don't intentionally do this. It just is something that happens on occasion. Wow. Okay. And then we have to fix it with further research. Oh my gosh, okay. And the best example for this one that's blatantly obvious, because I do not want to go into minutia, would be hemothermia. Those are the warm-blooded animals, which are the mammals and birds. Okay. They do not share an immediate common ancestor. So if you... They are both warm-blooded, but that is a, a fact of convergent evolution, where ah, they came okay. across a similar um, lifestyle due to similar uh, environments. If you were to use that as some kind of information in this group, you would say that their common ancestor was warm-blooded, which we know when we look at the whole big picture is BS because they each evolved it independently because they also shared a common ancestor with all the other reptiles. And as we know, they are not warm-blooded. They are not. Yeah. This is all still very confusing. Okay, so basically they're a mistake. Yes. Okay, well that helps a little bit, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right, great. Oh my goodness. Okay, so is that that it for the our little file? Yes, words? and I have images from Wikipedia if they would help you. <laughs> visual aids. Yes, visual aids. First, visual aids. First of all, don't take out the microphone. Okay. They're showing the audience. They're showing the audience through the microphone. Wow, yes. that's not how that works. Um. Okay. So this is what I was talking about earlier. Oh, wait, what's the top one? So this one yeah. is a paraphyletic group. Okay. Because you see the birds aren't included, neither are the mammals, because this group is what we call the reptiles. Okay. But we, you can see they all share a common ancestor here. Okay. So if you don't include them, you don't get the full picture of all the descendants' evolution. The visualizers are not helping. <laughs> Just going to tell you right now. Keep in mind not... I took an entire course on this. Yeah, I know. The visual aids are not helping, so this is not any better. All right, great. Well, that's it for our little lesson there, right? Yes. We'll see if I remember. I can tell you that <laughs> monophyletic shares the common ancestor in all of its descendants. Yes. And a paraphyletic shares the common ancestor, but not all of its descendants. 
and a polyphyl nope polyphyletic yes is a mistake yep great that's what i'm taking away from that there we go um <laughs> so <laughs> it is time for another doggy breed i guess i shouldn't have said dog immediately but a doggy breed and i just this is a dog that i feel like people look at and say like what is that thing i am one of those so people. um so we're just gonna talk about them because there we go they're pretty cool i think they're cool so we are talking about the pooley today I would just say they look like a mop, basically. This, it's an ad. They don't show the dog right away. It's very annoying. Hey, Casey. Anyway, um, it's not all the dogs that do this, but this one does. Anyway, so they look like a giant mop, basically. So they, the AKC lists them as loyal, smart, home-loving. I think that's the first home-loving I've seen <laughs> as a description. Um, and they are part of the herding group. They're, what? um Yeah, they're herders. Anyway. Still don't have a just go here's a picture right there they just finally put one up oh okay it is what i thought yeah so anyway so they are (laughs) usually about 17 inches to the shoulder for the males and 16 inches for the females they weigh about 25 to 35 pounds i don't believe that i feel like they probably weigh more than that with all that hair Mm -hmm. um and their life expectancy is about 10 to 15 years and casey how popular do you think they are out of 205 157 that was really close. 160. Oh, I that am was my impressed. <laughs> Very impressed. Oh, look at them as puppies, though. They're cute what little puppies. The, well, puppies? they haven't grown out their fur yet to get the dreads. Anyway, so let's talk about these guys. All right. So it's thought Pulik were brought to Europe about a thousand years ago by the Magyars. Magyars. That is a word I've never heard of before. Okay. The same Asian nomads who introduced the Visla to the West. Pulik herded large flocks of sheep on the Hungarian plains, and the corded coat protected them from the region's brutal winters. Today, the breed's herding instinct remains strong. Pulik will try to herd anything, birds, other dogs, even toddlers, with a gentle tug at the diaper. <laughs> Awkward. Mm. Okay. Um, let's see here. Da, 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 da. Um, the pooly coat is unique to the dog world. The undercoat is soft and woolly and very dense, but the outer coat is long and profuse and eventually cords after puppyhood. It's very, very exciting. Um, and the pooly of Drover has been an integral part of the lives of Hungarian shepherds for more than a thousand years. Isn't that so exciting? And the plural of pooly, by the way, is pulik. So that's why they pulik? said pulik. P-U-L-I-K. It's the weirdest plural version. It is I've a ever weird heard. plural version. Why can't we just keep it a pulley? I don't know. Or pulleys. I think pulleys are cute. Anyway. <laughs> so, no other breed can be mistaken for the pulley. A compact but powerful herder. Convert. Converted. What? Covered from head to tail with profuse, natural occurring cords. Bred to work closely with humans, these agile and faithful little dynamos are quick learners. First, there are those dreadlocks, the instantly recognizable feature of the pulley, pronounced pulley. Um, Pulik is the plural, like we said. The coat's naturally occurring cords are woolly, dense, and weatherproof. Either corded or brushed out, Pulik coats require a lot of attention. Under the dreads, there is a compact but powerful dog standing 16 to 17 inches at the shoulder. Pulik are remarkably agile and light on their feet, earning a reputation as the acrobat of the dog world. Really? <laughs> I don't know that I believe okay. that, but okay. Sure. Sure, AKC. We'll say that. 
All right, so with these guys, they're saying the recommended health tests are going to be the patella evaluation, ophthalmologist evaluation, hip evaluation, and degenerative myelopathy DNA test. Uh, so they're saying more specifically, da -da -da -da, da -da -da, I'm skipping ahead, probably like, get a person. Okay, so the Canine Health Information Center testing required by the breed's parent club includes OFA, or pen hip screening for hip dysplasia, OFA test for patella, OFA test for degenerative myelopathy, uh, DNA test, and CERFI testing to be updated every three years. That's what the breeders are supposed to be doing apparently, I guess, and what you want to keep doing with them. Hmm. And then Sounds additional, expensive. yeah, additional tests can be performed but are not required. Um, include OAF or excuse me OFA for elbows, cardiac, and thyroid, and the BAER hearing test. If you are considering getting a pulley, ask the breeder if the if they test for these conditions, in particular the club's required tests. Um, it does also not say what all of these are, so that's very annoying. I'm trying to see what the OFA is. Uh, not helpful. They don't want to seem to say. Okay, great guys. Sorry. <laughs> They did a terrible job of actually advertising. Uh, use the power of Google. Yeah, use the power of Google to look that OFA up. OFA test? Uh, we have the, well, OFA, and then a pen hip screening, and then a CERFI test. Also, a BAER hearing test. They don't say any of what these things are. Anyway, moving along. Let's see. I'm going to move on because I have to move to where I can read. <laughs> so. The pulley can be kept corded, brushed out, or with a clipped coat. Orthopedic foundation for animals. Ah, okay. There we go. What was the other one? I don't know. I've moved on. Oh. Whatever. They're probably always going to be foundation for animals. We're learning, but I'm moving on to the next thing. I'm not going to sit here while you look up all of those. We can do that after. All right. Until a pulley puppy is 8 to 10 months old, there is no grooming to do except for regular bathing and ears and grinding toenails. When the pulley's undercoat begins to come in, the coat will begin to feel thick and matted to your fingers. You will begin to feel natural separations in the coat, where the hairs seem to clump together close to the skin. This is the beginning of a cord. At this time, you can separate these soft clumps from each other by pulling them apart with your fingers. Cords are simply, <laughs> cords are simply organized mats that have tightened up with time. <laughs> this is a process that will be repeated many times over the course of about six to nine months. Once the coat has distinct cords, all you do is bathe the dog when needed and separate the cords. Um, a good time to do this is while you're watching TV and need something to do with your hands. What? The Breeders National just... Parent Club, the Pooley Club of America, provides a number of articles on grooming on the club's website. All right, so this is obviously a dog you're going to want to look into specifically. All right, real quick for you. There was also a CERF eye test. Okay. I'm going to move on to the next thing while we do that. So, I test. Mm -hmm. So, Pooley is a high-drive dog who requires both physical and mental stimulation. In fact, mental exercise is as important as physical exercise for this breed. Um, reputable breeders caution people to not overdo the physical exercise when the dog is young and the growth plates have not fused or closed. The Pooley excels at canine sports, including herding, obedience, and agility, among other activities. Okay, so it is the Central American... <laughs> nope, that's not it. <laughs> not so Ignore that. C-E-R-F, is that what you looked for? Yes. Okay. Is it an I, like the letter I? C-E-R-F. Okay. I was looking for the right thing, but okay. that's not it. Yeah, it's an eye test. Alrighty. 
so that is the pulley. Most distinctively, they just are, oh. they look like a giant mop. Oh, you found it? Canine Eye Registration Foundation. There we go. Great. That is that one. It should not be this difficult to look these things it up. It really shouldn't. And B E A, sorry, B A E R. B A E R. Yeah, I'm trying Fair. to think. About, I know, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's going to be a something. What do we I'm like, what is my guess of what that's going to be? It's not a foundation, obviously. No. Registration? Registration, maybe. Seems like it wouldn't be that. I don't know what the B would be for either. Anywho. That's a hearing test, apparently, mm -hmm. that they want. Brainstem auditory evoked response. Oh, so that's an actual thing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, there we go. That's exciting. So that is the pulley. They look like a giant so mop. I know, so many things. Well, anytime you get one of these specialized dogs, they're going to have a lot of issues because they're inbred. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so, so many things, um, but a very unique looking doggy. So check them out if you think that is the right dog for you. I can't imagine most people think that's the right dog for them, but there you go. Maybe it is for you. It's a show dog. <laughs> that's what it is. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, like, but I see nothing else. The venom behind that. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, that is going to bring us to our picks for this week, and it was my turn to choose. And this is definitely a category that I created for an animal, which we have done before. Very unique and category. And I chose animals that went extinct since 1900 because I wanted it to be in recent history. Also, Casey and I had a discussion how it's depressing because now people are like, you're born in the 1900s, and it makes you feel yep. like you're in pioneer times. So anyway. Yep. So, uh, so Casey... Who was your choice for an animal that went extinct since 1900? I chose the Southern Gastric Brooding Frog. What is that? So their scientific name is Riobatracosilus. This species was endemic to Australia, specifically the Blackall Range and Con Conondale Range in southeast Queensland. They live primarily in rocky creeks as well as in streams in montane rainforests. It is a relatively newly discovered species that was first found in 1972 and officially described in 1973. No gastric brooding frogs have been seen since 1981 and was officially declared extinct by the IUCN Red List in 2002. It had a lifespan of three to four years. There is a small degree of sexual dimorphism in this species with the females getting larger. Females will measure about 45 to 54 millimeters long while males are about 33 to 41 millimeters. Like many other amphibians, the gastric brooding frog feeds primarily on small insects. The species is largely sedentary and remains in a single spot for hours on end and was neither exclusively diurnal or nocturnal. In its native habitat, the gastric brooding frog only had two main predators, white-faced herons and eels that lived in the same stream systems. If the frog were ever caught by these predators in order to escape, they would excrete a layer of mucus to help them slip out of their grasp. Ew. <laughs> Species was heavily reliant upon water as it appeared to get dehydrated within just a few minutes out of water. Whoa. And it had very limited jumping ability with a maximum leap of just 25 centimeters. Oh, wow. That's not very high at all. Mm -hmm. It's like a foot, not yeah. even. The thing that made this species truly unique amongst frogs was its form of reproduction. This species was among the few species frog species that in which the female displayed parental care after laying the eggs. The egg laying and deposition of the sperm to fertilize the eggs was never observed in this species, but the next stage of the lifestyle was. There are some living frogs that will put eggs and tadpoles in their mouth for protection, 
but the gastric brooding frog is the only species that would literally swallow its eggs. Uh. And sometimes they would have a clutch of about 40. Gross. Mm-hmm. Each egg was about 5 millimeters across and had a yolk sac to nourish it through its development. It appears that hormones from the offspring called prostaglandin E2 caused the female to stop producing hydrochloric acid in the stomach and her lungs would collapse in order to make more room for her offspring. So the stomach would basically become a womb. That's so weird. I know. The young would stay in the mother's stomach for about six to seven weeks until the mother gave birth through her mouth as fully formed frogs, a process also known as propulsive vomiting. (laughs) That's amazing. And the stuff of horror stories, for sure. During this period, the mother would also stop eating. Some hypothesize that the female had stretch receptors around her stomach in order um, that made her feel satiated while in this brooding period, so she wouldn't feel the need to eat. But the number of eggs that were in a clutch often outnumbered the eggs of number of offspring that emerged, and it is not known if the female ingested these eggs or if they just never were swallowed at all. Oh. About four days after the young leave their mothers, she would return to normal and start feeding again. Warning signs for the species came in 1979 when the species underwent a rapid decline. Then in 1981, no more specimens in the wild were seen, and the last one in captivity died just two years later in 1983. Wow. Officially, it is not known what caused the extinction of the species. However, it is quite possible that the species' extinction may be due to the introduction of chytrid fungus, which is called by the pathogen Vitracochytridium dendrobatidis. This fungus is also responsible for decline in 13 other frog species in Queensland. The fungus, along with its cousin B. salmandrivorans, caused the disease chytromyocosis, which is responsible for much of the decline in frog populations worldwide, including the extinction of several amphibian species. A study back in 2019 did an official tally on how this disease has impacted biodiversity, and they are responsible for more damage to biodiversity than any other disease on record. These fungi have driven the decline of 501 amphibian species, which equates to one in every 16 species that we know of. Wow. 90 species have gone extinct or presumed extinct in the wild due to this disease, and another 124 species. Um, there have been declines of over 90%. The major culprit is B. dendrobatidis, which was responsible for but all but one of the species' decline of the 501 species. As a PSA, if you have a pet frog, absolutely do not release it into the wild because all major strains of BD have been found in pet frogs. The thing that makes the extinction of the gastric brooding frog really tragic is it had only one close relative, um, the northern gastric brooding frog, which was discovered in 1984, but went, it too went extinct just one year later. These two were the only species in an entire subfamily of frogs and the only two species known for this unique brooding behavior. However, all hope it may not be lost for this unique species of frog because some specimens of the species were preserved. And back in 2013, scientists in New South Wales took the nuclei from a southern gastric brooding frog that was frozen and implanted it in the egg of a barred frog, which is one of its closest living relatives. Getting the eggs from this species was a challenge in of itself because they only lay eggs once a year, 
So sometimes they would go out trekking into the woods to try to find the frogs and find no eggs. Right. They actually, the egg actually did start to divide and develop into the early stages of the embryonic stages, but did not develop any further. It gets to a stage called gastrulation, which is when the cells start to fold in on itself to form what will eventually turn into the GI tract. And then after that point, it stops. It is a great advancement so far, but they still have far way to go before bringing the species back. All right. So how does the fungus kill them? It literally eats their flesh. Oh my god. This fun most fungus are detritivores and just eat dead animals and plants. Uh, these two fungus and most that's the case for most chytrid fungus, but these two species in particular like have a taste for the proteins in frog skin. Oh. So they're literally eating the frogs. So it just like eats their skin and then mm -hmm. all their stuff gets exposed and yeah. that's how they die. And they already have highly permeable skin, so they are exposed to toxins in the environment, they have diseases. Oh, no. Yeah. This is actually what's impacting our mountain yellow-legged frogs here in California. But like I said, it is the most damaging disease to biodiversity worldwide. Great. Yep. That's lovely. And they haven't found a way to kill it? No. Basically, scientists have said there's no way to eradicate it. We're trying to find ways to manage it because we do know some infected frogs can be treated with a fungicide to get rid of it and survive. Mm -hmm. But worldwide applications are difficult. Mm -hmm. um, this caused the extinction of the golden toad several years ago. And because of it, it caused the decline of the spe a species of frog in Panama called the golden frog. And all individuals in the wild from that species were actually collected to bring in captivity before they could be wiped out. Oh, okay. It's a very serious problem and is the reason why amongst the vertebrates, uh, amphibians are the most threatened. Oh, Mean fungus. Mm -hmm. Don't like it. Yeah. All right. Well, going from that bummer. I mean, these are all bummers because they're all extinct. <laughs> so let's be real. Yeah. But I chose, this is why I chose this category. I want to do the thylacine. Mm. Also known as the Tasmanian tiger. Yep. Um, they're the coolest. I'm. I feel like this is the most upset that I am about an animal mm. that I don't get to see in real life because you get to watch that video, and I'm like, I want to see this. You seen the remastered version? I have not seen the remastered oh. version, no. But anyway, it makes you more sad, man. I'm sure. So, um, the thylacines. Excuse me. Scientific name is Thylacinus sinosophilus. and the they were native to much of Australia as well as New Guinea and Tasmania. It lived in dry eucalyptus forests as well as shrubland and grasslands. The thylacine—I can't speak—the thylacine was first described back in 1808 and went extinct, likely in the 1949s. In the 49s, just yeah, 1949. Oops, it should have been a zero. <laughs> or 40s, yeah. There you go. It was a sexually dimorphic species, with the males being slightly larger than the females, 1.2 to about two meters in length. Their weight range from about 15 to 30 kilograms. It is difficult to estimate the lifespan of the species, but there are records of a female in captivity living to nearly 13 years and spent a little over nine years in captivity. So it is suspected that in the wild, they have a lifespan of about eight to 10 years. One unique characteristic of the thylacine is that it is one of only two species of marsupial in which the males have a rear opening partial pouts. What? I didn't even know that about mm. them. It has a body design similar to that of wolves and their close relative, hence why they are sometimes called Tasmanian wolves, um, but they are not related to each other at all. 
Thylacines are a species of carnivorous marsupial, marsupial, I cannot speak, carnivorous marsupial. There we go. And this resemblance is a product of convergent, convergent evolution in which the species have similar body designs due to similar lifestyles. Due to this, the thylacine walked very similar to some canid species, but they occasionally displayed a form of locomotion called bipedal hop, hope, Hop is it it's hop. hop. Yep, so it's a bipedal hop. Bipedal hop, in which it would stand on its hind legs and use its tail for balance, somewhat like a kangaroo, and hop for a short distance. Okay, I really want to see it do that. <laughs> this species was very elusive, so much of its lifestyle is left unknown. It is suspected that it may have been solitary because, from bounty records, there was only ever one record of a male and female pair caught together, suggesting they may have come together only for mating. A female would have up to four young in her pouch, wow, and carried them in um, in there until they could no longer fit. <laughs> That's amazing. It is suggested that the young would stay with their mother until they were about halfway to fully grown. Evidence points to it being a semi-nocturnal species, excuse me, being active mostly at night, but was known to occasionally come out in the sun to bask in the sunlight, as it should. The thylacine had an enlarged sinus cavity, indicating that it had a great sense of smell to help it keep track of its prey while hunting. Another unique aspect of the thylacine is that it had jaws that could open up 90 degrees. What? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Scientists think they had a hunting strategy, strategy somewhat, like, somewhat like wolves. They would track their prey for very long distance until their prey tired down, at which point the thylacine would rush in to take down their prey. This species was noted for being considerably strong, um, so it is reasonable to suspect that it could take down several of Australia's kangaroo species. Oh, snap. Sometimes thylacine burrows would be found with bones of livestock. Whoa, that's crazy. Some suspect it may have scavenged off of, scavenged off of livestock, but there is little evidence of it feeding off carcasses which it didn't kill before, but the extent to which it hunted livestock was almost certainly exaggerated. Being the largest carnivorous marsupial in Australia, the thylacine would have been the continent's top predator and an important species for keeping prey species population in check, such as wallabies, which have grown dramatically in several parts of the country. The thylacine is, unfortunate, is the unfortunate example of what can happen to a species due to widespread persecution. On mainland Australia, it faced competition from dingoes when they were introduced by humans, which they, which likely led to their extinction on the mainland. My thing moved again. All right. Its extinction on Tasmania was overwhelmingly the result of human persecution, as evident by several bounty records of the species with people considering it a pest species. Despite all the persecution the species faced from humans, evidence actually suggests that it was very shy and elusive, avoiding people whenever possible. The last known individual was one in captivity, a female referred to as Benjamin. Yeah. Okay. She died on September 7th, 1936 at the Hobart Zoo, just two months after the species became protected. Oh. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, she died of neglect. Yeah. It's really, it's a really sad story. Oh my God. Died of neglect when she was locked out of her shelter and died of exposure due to the extreme cold that night. Oh my God sad now <laughs> one study was published um this is quite unfortunate because the thylacine was a very unique mammal and the last member of an entire family of marsupials 
There have been hundreds of reported sightings of thylacines since. They were declared extinct by the IUCN Red List in 1982, but it is highly unlikely these are legitimate. However, just as the case with the gastric brooding frog, there are de-extinction plans in place to try to bring back the thylacine. There are preserved specimens of young thylacine and alcohol in some of Australia's museums, but these specimens are in far poorer condition than the brooding frog specimens. For starters, they are older and they are heavily contaminated because several previous museum curators that took the specimens out of the jars to show people, but in some parts, <laughs> there is better quality DNA. As a result of this, the cloning as a result of this, the cloning of the thylacine for de-extinction makes it a much more difficult task. There is also a project at the University of Melbourne called the Thylacine Integrated Genetic Restoration Research Tiger <laughs> Lab. I, I don't know if it's Tiger or Tiger. <laughs> Either way, it's great. <laughs> In this lab, they plan on bringing back the thylacine through genetic editing using a very different species, the Dunart, which is a small mouse-sized marsupial. The plan is to edit the genome of the Dunart to produce thylacine cells, which will eventually be used to produce an embryo either in a Petri dish. I know you put Petric dish. I did. Mm -hmm. Oops. Petri dish or the womb of another marsupial, like a qual, eventually leading to a living thylacine. The distinct difference with the Tigger lab <laughs> is that it won't be pure thylacine because it will contain part Dunart genome from using it as the baseline in the gene editing process, which is something currently underway in the U.S. For the woolly mammoth, what are we doing? By editing elephant DNA. <laughs> so anyway, mm -hmm. um, take away no Jurassic Park and also very sad about the thylacine. <laughs> and now I'm extra sad about how she died. That is yeah. horrible. Anyway, ugh, mm. makes me angry. They're so cool looking mm -hmm. and it just, people make me so angry. Yeah. Like, there's a self, like, I am a large, cr big critic of Yin Extinction Projects. <laughs> Does not change the fact that I want the thylacine back. I do want to see the thylacine. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I want to see it. But still, mm. no. I'm fine no. with Jurassic Park. <laughs> I'm not fine with Jurassic Park. We don't do We've it. We've done cloning with endangered species a bunch. It's like that. No. Though, I think the Woolly Mammoth Project is ridiculous. That's insane. That's more Jurassic Park than a thylacine. Because, like, the thylacine... And the brooding frog, those are two animals that I am of the opinion that the Briasha brooding frog most likely was a victim of chytrid fungus. Mm -hmm. So if you want to make the moral imperative for us driving it two species extinct, those two I can understand. Woolly mammoth, no. <laughs> it's been thousands of years for the environment to change and species to evolve. And the argument they always state is that, which is correct, that it would help with climate change for packing down the tundra and all the plants there. Thing is, you don't need mammoths to do that. You can just increase the population of megafauna that are already there. <laughs> well, you know, but they want to yeah. bring back woolly mammoths. I, I mean, know. people want to see like, woolly mammoths. I want to. I would like to see but... woolly mammoth, but not like that. <laughs> and I'd really like to. I thought thing just pisses me off because Also, it's like... I found out they're not using... I when I first heard of Woolly Mammoth Project, I thought they were going to use implant it into an Asian elephant. They're not. They're using an artificial womb. Oh. So I don't know how that's working. Well, we'll see. Mm -hmm. Jurassic Park. It's not a great thing. That also, I've seen digital make... versions of what the product might be. It's very underwhelming. <laughs> 
Allison just make me mad though because it's like fairly recent yeah. and I'm like you could have just not killed them yeah and the brooding frogs even more recent yeah it's mm-hmm. true but that's also like a smaller more difficult thing that dies easily versus mm-hmm. the thylacine is like an actual yeah you know mammal that's easy and we could just not have killed at all so mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. sad times yeah all right well and screw whoever brought the dingoes <laughs> <laughs> yeah um you're also considered a pet dingoes are a weird topic when you talk about conservation and ecology <laughs> oh dear anyway but that brings us to our animal of the week and this was our listener's choice and also it was my number one choice of that list so i'm happy that i had one and our animal of the week this week is the armadillo girdled lizard the armadillo girdled lizard and they to me look like a little dragon yeah. And they're really cute when they talk about a behavior or when they do a behavior that I'm sure Casey will talk about. Yes. So tell us about them. So the armadillo lizard, as I'm going to refer to the rest of this time, <laughs> come from the order Squamata, as all lizards and reptiles, snakes do. Yes. They are in the family Cordillidae. And the scientific name of this species is Ouroboros catafricus. Okay. This species is found on the west coast of South Africa. They live in semi-desert regions with little vegetation and are typically found in rocky outcrops. Lifespan in the wild is unknown, but in captivity it has been known to live into their mid-twenties. They are sexually dimorphic species. The males get larger than the females, and they have a body length of about 75 to 90 millimeters, and they have a tail that's nearly the same length. The species is primarily insectivorous, they will mainly feed on harvester termites, but will also hunt beetles, millipedes, and scorpions, but they will also feed on occasional vegetation. The armadillo lizard is a very social species of lizard. Uh, they are known to exhibit permanent group living with groups containing up to 60 lizards for average somewhere around two to six individuals usually. These groups are not limited to just extended family units, either because there is a lot of movement of individual between groups. The males of this species are very territorial, but are not as defensive of females. And in groups with multiple males, the group will partition territory amongst themselves. There will still be some aggression between the males, but not nearly as aggressive as they are against outsider males. The species has a very low metabolic rate and is very inactive, likely due to its extremely harsh environment, so it's possible this group living evolved due to their sluggish demeanor, and living in a group provides safety in numbers, giving them more time to escape when approached by a predator. They stay close to the rock crevices so they can hide in the cracks of the outcroppings to evade predators, and they have flattened heads and tails to squeeze themselves into smaller crevices. Armadillo lizard is an ovoviviparous species of lizard, which means the eggs hatch inside of the female and then she gives birth to live offspring, usually only about one or two at a time. The young will stay with their mother in the group and they will even go as far as providing some food to their offspring on occasion, which is very rare amongst lizards. The species' scientific name used to be Cordillus cataphractus, but a study in 2011 did a molecular phylogeny and showed it was more distant related to other lizards in the, its genus and even the others in the same family, so it got moved into its own genus and got renamed Ouroboros cataphractus. Its generic name Ouroboros is a reference to a symbol of a dragon swallowing its tail um, forming a circle. This is actually a reference to a behavior that also gave the species its common name, armadillo lizard. 
When they feel threatened by a predator, the armadillo lizard will curl up and grab onto their tails by binding it with their jaws to form a ball that somewhat resembles an armadillo. Well, it's more like a ring, though, than like a ball. Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I'm not sure, I'm sure you're going to get into it, but like how that's helpful. Because an armadillo, you get the soft bits Mm -hmm. covered. This, you can still get to things. You basically have a dog toy. Yeah. The lizard has several rows of spiny scales that help protect itself from predators that try to unravel it. (laughs) Spiky dog toy. (laughs) Yes, it is. And so it helps keep the underbelly nice and protected. Okay. Like many other species of lizard, the armadillo lizard can perform a behavior called autotomy, which involves the lizard dropping its tail when in danger. However, part of the species' defense involves it biting its own tail in order to form its protective ring, so it will only drop its tail as a very last resort. The armadillo girdle lizard is currently listed as least concerned by the IUCN Red List. Species is actually an example of a conservation success. The armadillo lizard was listed as vulnerable from 1996 until 2017. The species is sought after by the pet trade, and due to their group living and sluggish behavior, they were subjected to mass collections. They used to be a big pressure on their population because they are not a highly reproductive species, because females only have one or two offspring at a time. For these reasons, it became protected in South Africa, and collections for the pet trade became illegal, which helped the species to rebound. The species is also listed under Appendix 2 of CITES, but illegal smuggling is still a concern, and climate change may soon impact the abundance of their primary prey, which is termites. There still needs to be an update amount on the numbers of the amounts of lizards smuggled to maintain its least concerned status, because due to their lifestyle and low dispersal, just a few illegal collections can extirpate an entire region's population. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yep. Downsides to some behaviors, I guess. I don't know mm-hmm. if we classify mm-hmm. that as. But anyway, hopefully I can get a cute picture of them. They're real cute when they ball up. Yes. <laughs> um, pretty exciting stuff. And uh, Casey. Yes, Allie. That's that's it for them, right? Yes, it is. Okay. What do you call the? Uh, or sorry, what did the armadillo girdled lizard say he was going to do on his day off? Uh, a roll around. <laughs> armadillo. Oh my god. <laughs> I really like that one so much. I'm a chillo. <laughs> anyway. All right. That brings us to our challenge. Second to last challenge of the season. Yes. All right. And what are we doing today? You're doing my version of Leopardy. Leopardy. I have no idea how much money I make. I probably should have no looked clue. that up for our last episode. But I definitely guarantee you that I will not have that on there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to do a stats yeah. thing at some point. Anyway, all right. So uh, I guess we start with what are my categories? Yes. Four categories, five prices, one to 500. Okay. So first category is just whatever I decide to put in. That's literally what the category is called? Yeah. Great. Also, why are they prices? If they're prices, I'm paying for it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Okay. Awards. I don't know. What. Great. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Amazing adaptations. Okay. Wordy sciencey words. Oh, God. Allie's past comes back to haunt her. All of these are going to be terrible. Well, let's just go in order, okay. I guess. So I got 10 minutes. Yes. Hold on one second. He was not prepared. Oopsie. Alrighty. So whatever you threw in there, 100, I guess, is my first one. Okay. What a animal of the week this season had the longest lifespan? The Greenland shark. That is correct. 
Oh, you stupid computer. <laughs> okay, 200, I'm assuming. Yeah, sorry. You're just going to go down the category. All right. What was the first invertebrate animal of the week we talked about this season? I feel like the Bigger and Kipling eye was pretty early. But I don't know if we did somebody else before them. I'm just going to say the Bigger and Kipling eye because there's no way I'm going to get back further than that. That is correct. Woohoo! One of our categories this season was favorite New World monkeys. What species did I pick? You know, this is great because I was looking up a bunch of stuff to prep another quiz. So this is basically <laughs> like I studied the Redukari, I believe. Yep, yes. great. Love this. <laughs> Back in November, I talked about an endangered species increase in Kenya. What species was it? That one I do not remember. Um, endangered species increase. In Kenya. In Kenya. I know there's a lot of things in Kenya. Um... I don't remember things being downlisted. I remember them being up, well, uplisted as far as things are worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to say the African forest elephant because I don't remember. That is not correct. Okay, great. I can't remember that was this if that was this season. I, it probably wasn't. <laughs> I covered a story about scientists finding the DNA of what animal in pet food? Oh, um, sharks, right? That is correct. Yes. Amazing Adaptations? Oh, sorry, yes. Amazing Adaptations, and we're going down the category. All right. What characteristic allows animals like Bintrong and Fusa to walk down trees head first? Oh, I forget what it's called, but they can turn their ankles. Not turn their ankles, but like walk their ankles so they can do it. What's it called, though? I'm never remembering the name. I don't remember. I'm good with just remembering the look. <laughs> Twisting ankles. Yeah, okay. The an- yeah, the ankles twist. Yeah. <laughs> The axolotl is a species of interest to medical science due to what ability it has. Oh, no. I should know this. I really liked them, too, mm-hmm. so I should know their stuff. I'm going to say regeneration. That is correct. Yay. Kingfishers have what on their eyes that provides them with protection while diving? Some kind of membrane. I don't know. You don't know? A mucous membrane. I'm going to say that. I have no idea. Okay, great. (laughs) All right. Last one. The Watson is unique due to its nutrient-poor leafy diet. It is able to get nutrition by using what kind of digestion that is also present in ruminants? (sighs) I don't remember what it's actually called, though. I won't remember what the thing is called. Fancy cow digestion. (laughs) There we go. Going on to the next category. Wordy, sciencey words. Oh, Jesus. Wordy, sciencey words is going to be terrible. Myrmacophagus. Rumation. Oh, Oh, crap. I skipped one. Oh, no. (laughs) This is 400. The predatory sponge uses what small structures to hook its prey? Oh. We 100% talked about them. There was a point I knew what they were called. This is going to be wrong. I'm just going to say it. Tube feet. That is incorrect. Okay. All right. Wordy, sciencey words. Yeah. What word refers to a hibernation-like state in many reptiles? Rumation? That is correct. Ah, yes. <laughs> it is my new myrcophagus. <laughs> what word refers to when the sexes of a species have different colors? Uh, sexual, oh, di- sexual dichromism. That is correct. Okay. Next. Some animals we've talked about don't ovulate until mating. What is this called? Shoot. I think you've asked this like three times and I always screw it up. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it's called. Delayed estrus. That is incorrect. Yeah, no. Next uh, one of the categories. 
This word refers to when an animal can lay unfertilized eggs that still develop into offspring. Nope. <laughs> um, honestly, I'm already surprised I'm doing as well as mm-hmm. I have been. So, like, um, I'm yeah, I'm not gonna get this one. Um, free range eggs. <laughs> No. <laughs> oh my gosh this word refers to water that is very high in oxygen but low in nutrients uh you would think i would know what that is but i have no idea when did we talk about this ever A sponge oh god i don't remember dude um high in oxygen yes fancy osmosis oxygenated water <laughs> But good creativity. Yep, there you go. Okay, your past comes back to haunt you. Yeah, okay, yep, yeah, 100. What is the polar bear's conservation status? Oh, God, here we go again. I always screw up what the statuses are anyway. Mm. I don't remember if it's endangered or threatened. I'm going to say endangered. That is incorrect. Probably threatened. Great, okay, great. Moving on. Name the largest bony fish and cartilaginous fish found in the Pacific Ocean. Oh, we are literally asking questions we've asked before, and I should get the answers right, and yes. I'm going to get them wrong. The largest bony fish, I totally screwed up. Was that the coelacanth? Bony fish, bony fish, bony fish. I really don't remember. I'll say the coelacanth. And the cartilaginous fish, I'm going to say, is the whale shark. You got to have a bit, correct? <laughs> okay. <laughs> What is Australia's... No, it was a sunfish. <laughs> no, the whale sharks, right? Because I got that one wrong last time. Anyway, what was it? What is Australia's only endemic crocodile species? Oh, boy. <laughs> it's not a caiman. <laughs> um, crocodile species. It is a... I'm just gonna say the saltwater crocodile because I don't, I don't know. Hopefully, it just sticks around Australia and doesn't go further. <laughs> That's incorrect. Great. Okay, leatherback sea turtle have a nutrient-poor diet consisting mostly of what? Jellies. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> it only took four times to get that one right. <laughs> Pangolins lack teeth, so what do they use to scrape ants and termites off their tongue with? Totally talked about this one before too. Um. They don't have teeth, so they use. I'm gonna say, I don't know what they use to do that. They don't have teeth. They're trying to scrape it off their tongue. Um, they need their claws. I don't know. <laughs> that is incorrect. Okay, great. All right, that's the last one. Okay. So now we get to see how I did. Okay. Honestly, it could have been worse. I'm mad about the sunfish because um, it came to me after. I think I only got like three of those, right? Or two of those, maybe even. <laughs> oh, boy. Rumation is definitely my new myrmecophagus. So that's exciting. And there's definitely a few of these questions I would not have known had I not been going back through things. Yeah. Myself. You got 2100 Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. I feel like that's the most money I've ever made in one game. I think so. <laughs> I'm pretty impressed with myself right now. So how many did I get right? So in total, you got nine right. Okay. You got $4,000 last time, though, so that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. I definitely made that one pretty easy, though. All right. So let's go through the list. Yeah. Just what I decided to put Animal of the Week with the longest lifespan was indeed the Greenland shark. Mm-hmm. 
First invertebrate animal of the week was the Bagheera Kipling Eye. Okay. One of the categories for a season was New World Monkeys, and my chick was the Red Uukari. Okay. Now, back in November, I talked about an endangered species whose population increased in Kenya. That species was the Black Rhino. Oh, yeah, no, don't remember that at mm-hmm. all. Okay, great. Yeah. And scientists finding DNA of what animal in pet food? That was sharks. Okay. Amazing. I got most of that category, right? Yeah, you only missed one. Yay. Impress. What characteristic allows animals like Bintrongs and Fossa to walk down trees? They can rotate their ankles. What is that called? Again. Does it have a name? Okay, whatever. <laughs> Pretty sure it does. Fancy like ankle rotating capabilities. I'm going to look it up real quick after okay. this. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Laxal is a species of interest to medical science due to its regenerative ability, having no- been known to regenerate limbs and even organs. Woohoo! Kingfishers have what on their eye that provides them with protection while diving? A nicotating membrane. I was never going to get that. Okay. <laughs> also called third eyelid. I mean, I did say a membrane, but that was <laughs> yes. as close as it was going to get. <laughs> Predatory sponge uses what small structure to hook its right? It uses spicules. Oh, no, I wasn't going to get that right. Okay. <laughs> the Watson's is unique due to its nutrient-poor leafy diet. It's able to get this nutrition by using foregut fermentation. Oh man, I was almost gonna say I was gonna say four chamber something, but I still have been wrong. But yep. right. bummer. Now, wordy sciencey words. Mm-hmm. What word refers to a hibernation-like state in many reptiles? That is brumation. Woohoo! A word that refers to when sexes are different colors is sexual dichromism. Woo-hoo. You got that correct. Some animals we've talked about don't ovulate until after mating. This is called induced ovulation. Ah, dang it. Mm-hmm. The word that refers to when an animal can lay unfertilized eggs that still develop into offspring is parthenogenesis. Which we talked about very recently. Yes, we did. And I'm like, this has a word and I don't remember what it is. Yes. Cool. And this one, I would have been amazed if you got it. Oh, <laughs> I'm <right>. sorry. <laughs> this word refers to water that is very high in oxygen but low in nutrients. That is oligotrophic. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was never going to get that. <laughs> yes. Now, your past comes back to haunt you. Yeah. It only partially. It was ugly. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Okay, continue on. Okay. The polar bear's conservation status is vulnerable. Oh, okay. That would have been bad. I was bad all the yeah. way. Okay. The largest bony fish is the ocean sunfish. I did remember it after the fact. <laughs> yeah. So I... And the whale shark is the largest cargo. At least I didn't make fish. that stupid mistake again. <laughs> <laughs> and Australia's only endemic reptile crocodilian is the Australian freshwater crocodile. Okay. Leatherback's diet is contains mostly of sea jellies. You got that correct? Pangolins lack teeth, so what do they use to scrape ants and termites off their tongue? That is their hyoid bone. Oh, yeah, no, I was not going to remember that. <laughs> All right, well, I mean, it could have been worse. Yeah. Kind of not great, because I didn't even get half the amount of money <laughs> that I could have gotten. So, obviously, I got low-level questions. Mm-hmm. Correct. Anyway. All right, well, you know, it. I still feel proud. I feel like usually mm-hmm. your questions are real bad, and I struggle real hard, <laughs> and I got some things right. At least I remember brumation. Yes. So now I just have to remember... Parthenogenesis mm-hmm. is your next one. <laughs> Parthenogenesis is my next. Myrmacophagus, brumation, parthenogenesis. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to spit off these words. I'm going to go sound smart somewhere. I'm just going to like throw out these terms of like, oh, these have nothing to do with each other, but let me let me sound smart too. Um, yeah, myrmacophagus and brumation and... Parth- it's hard to say that one. Parthenogenesis. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Parthenogenesis, of course. 
wouldn't that be nice if we could do that <laughs> not have to carry it anyway there we go all right well that brings us to the end of episode 84 thank you for listening as always we're your host Allie and Casey and we will catch you on the next and final episode of season two of the animal addicts podcast bum, bum, bum.